Amen. Morning, everyone. You thanked, you thanked me for my tireless effort. I don't know if it's tireless. <laughs> Whew, okay, two more, everybody. There, I just let the shield down. I go, all right, two to go. There was 13 this week. And uh, so it's, um, it's uh, thankful for the Lord and his strength. Uh, and uh, just thankful for what's been happening this week. And um, if you do have your Bible, Hebrews chapter number 10. I hope you've been challenged uh, how we're called to be the church and not to just fall into the same old mold, but what has Christ called us to be? Uh, what has Christ called us to do? Uh, so Hebrews uh, chapter number 10. So just like to do a little review and um, if something practically stuck out to you, so as we go through this, you want to you want to say, Pastor, man, I just this really impacted me. Would love to hear that, but just want to walk through these let us statements. We're going to wrap up with one more this morning. Um, and uh, so in Hebrews chapter ten, we started uh, with this passage uh, that really talked about the gospel. It said, let us draw, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Where this all starts, right, is that we have a hope that does not waver because of the blood of Jesus. And, and so this let us all starts with, it lets us, because of the gospel, uh, we are the church, because of what Christ has done. Maybe the most blessed thing I heard this week was a lady came to me and said, Pastor, I just want to thank you because every time you speak, you speak of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was like, that was such a blessing because th that, that's the goal. That as, as Paul said, of a first importance, and we, we don't grow beyond the gospel. We haven't, like, we don't go, good, I got the gospel, let's move on. We don't ever do that, because if we move beyond the gospel, we're in big trouble. We need the gospel poured over our lives every single day. And so just, that was just the, 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 the really, really cool comment. Probably the second coolest comment was somebody walked up to my father-in-law, Jay, and said, Jay, you just, you're, just, you're just so blessed. And he said, oh, because of my son-in-law? And they said, no, because your dad came to know the Lord. And I just thought, that's right. He is blessed. Well, that, was, that was the second best one I heard. But the review, let us know the gospel, stand on the gospel, and then let us stir one another up to love and good works. And uh, maybe, were, were you challenged this week at all to how to stir, or maybe uh, to be at your job, community, wherever you're at, to be that stir stick. If you didn't grab one, I don't know if they're still here yet, but yeah, they're still here. If you want a stir stick to put in your Bible or to, to put in your car and to set it right there just to see and a reminder as you drive down and somebody you know, cuts you off to go, no, I'm stir stick, stir stick, love and good works. And just to remember, to remember those things. But may we be, may we stir one another up. May as we gather together in the church realizing there isn't a stark time to the service. That is when we come and we gather and we meet and we, we fellowship and we pray. And then, and then at some point 
the, the worship leader gets up, they'll start singing, great, and the pastor will preach. And then after, it's not done. We're not called to be ninjas, to jump in and jump out. We're called to stir one another up to love and good works and to be there and to care for people. In day two, we, we read in chapter 12, it says, let us run the race looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That as we run the race that God has called us to, we don't run the race looking back at what happened. We don't go, man, the good old days, the good old days, the good old days. Remember the good old days. No, we run looking to Jesus. We run laying aside every sin and weight. Remember we discussed how sin and weight is different. Sin, uh, you know, we sin against the Lord, but there is also weight. There are things that may not be sinful, there, but there are things that we, we have to set up standards. We have to, to, to guard ourselves so that we don't fall, and so that we may run this race. Day three, we spoke on let us worship, and uh, we went to chapters, uh, uh, chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, that says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It was beautiful here in Hebrews that spoke of those two mountains that we come and we, we are in awe of reverence to God, the holy, powerful God that uh, what Isaiah say when he fell, when he, when, when he had, you know, to be able to see God, he fell down in terror, right? Knowing the holiness of God. And so we worship God in awe. We worship him in, in fear, not in a, a running away because of the wrath of God, but because we have such great respect and reverence for the almighty God. And so we worship the Bible says, in reverence and awe. And then, then as you read chapter 13, it tells us what that practically looks like. Um, how that looks like we, we worship him with our lips and we worship him with our works. That we worship him by what we say. We're called to speak uh, praises to the Lord. To use our lips. And we are called to, to, to work and to serve the Lord. Then yesterday... We spoke on let us rest and uh, how we need to labor to rest. I know that's a weird statement, but I love just hearing the conversations that some of you are having that look to go, how, okay, so I labor to rest. I don't do nothing or, or to run away from, you know, just try to like look at my phone for four hours and this reel and that 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 reel. And, oh, that one's funny. Well, that one curses a lot. That one's inappropriate. That one's fun. Like that, that's not what we spend all of our time doing. And none of you ever do that, do you? Just, just, yes, yes, some of you do, like me. Right? But that's not rest. It doesn't give us rest. We find rest in God's word, in his conviction, right? We find rest in God's word, in his promises of now, in his promises of the future. Man, we find some rest. And if you're struggling with rest, you know the best place to go? Go to the word of God. See who Jesus is. Read about him. Know his promises. Know your future. Know the past is taken care of. <sighs> Some rest. But then we're called to strive, to labor, right? To, Jesus says, my rest, take my rest upon you. What's it look like? A yoke, to take the yoke, to, to, to serve the Lord. There is where we will find rest. 
And now we come to our last let us statement that we're going to study. It's in chapter 13. Uh, it's in verse 13. And I, I quickly read it a couple days ago, but we're going to sit and study it. It's probably the most difficult one to understand. But I think it's a little practical. We can apply it right now. The Bible says in verse 13, Therefore, let us go to him outside of the camp. Today, what are we going to do? We're going outside of the camp today, aren't we? So every verse we go, okay, let us go outside of the camp today. Maybe tomorrow. Some of you are leaving early. But we are going to leave here. We're going to leave our little holy huddle, which is good. It's been wonderful. But we are going to go outside of the camp. So what does this mean to go outside? Therefore, let us go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach he endured. What does this mean? Well, whenever we study, let's see what the, the scripture is saying around this passage, because I got to tell you, the first time I read that, I, don't, I didn't know what it's talking about. What does it mean? What, what is this outside the camp? So starting in verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, first it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. I thought that's a wonderful place to, to start. Jesus is the same. Jesus does not change. You know what changes? We do. We change. Right? Even like you came to camp 15 years ago, you come to camp today, some things changed, didn't they? You look a little different. That changed. But has our attitudes changed? Some people go from sour to sweet, like the Lord is transforming them. Some people go from, uh, from sweet to sour. They become more bitter. And so we do change. And, and because of the sinful nature, we need to change. And may we continue. May this week be a part of that, God molding us and shaping us. But God, he doesn't change. Same God. I think it's interesting when people go, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. And I say, man, you're not reading what the scripture says. I think we, we have missed some of the things because you see the God is gracious and merciful in the Old Testament, but man, is he just. And then you see Jesus, who is gracious and merciful, but man, is he just. Just read the book of Revelation, and you'll see that the, ju the justice of the Lord is coming. Jesus is bringing it. But he is the same. Another amazing thing that I love is that when we study the attributes of God, and when you read those Psalms and it says who God is, and like Psalms 102, 27 says, but you are the same and your years will have no end. This is the attributes of God. When you read Hebrews 1, 12, you know what it says about Jesus? It quotes that verse, you are the same and your years, you have no end. That You'll see in scripture the attributes placed upon God are the attributes placed upon Jesus. Why? Because no, Jesus is fully God, right? We see it again in Isaiah 48, 12. Speaking of God, it says, I am he, I am the first, I am the last. This is the Lord. And then when you flip over to Revelation 1, 17, what does it say? Speaking of Jesus, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, because he laid his right hand on me, saying, Jesus, fear not, I am the first and the last. 
think it's beautiful. We see who Jesus is. We see his love and his mercy and his tenderness, and it is the same forevermore. This is our God. This is who we worship. Read verse 9. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So doing a little digging here. There's some different thoughts on what this means. I'm going to give you the best of what I I believe the scripture is saying and and using uh, some men of the Lord. One says it like this. It says, those who imagine, there were those who imagined that spiritual growth came through a special menu. Anybody? Foosball tournament? Still there? All right, Aaron. I don't get distracted easily. I don't. (laughs) Not who I am. I may flip numbers around, but... I don't know where I was at now. We've got to start all over. Back to the beginning. So chapter 9. One one of the books I read. Verse 9. Yeah, okay, just making sure you're in with me. All right, good. Good, good. I flipped chapters and verses. I don't know what to tell you. Verse 9. One said those, there were those here, right? They, they had, it seems like they were making up this law about food that they thought made them holy. They were making up these laws and these rituals to follow. We do the same thing. It's when we become legalistic, we start saying, well, if you don't dress this way, right? Have, have this, that, that is not part of what the Bible says. We put all of you to dress this way and to, if you go to that or this is in your house or that, and that's not in scripture, we make legalistic laws. And, and then people, what do they do? They say, well, I follow those legalistic laws. I am holy and I am good. Instead of going, no, he's good. We follow him. We serve him. So here, this is what it looks like. There was this thing with, with food. So Kent Hughes says it this way. Those who imagined that spiritual growth came through a special menu had not only be, become ignorant of the necess- necessity of grace for growth, but they had actually blocked strengthening grace by their ground rules. So they had used food to make them holy. I I think maybe that food had a little bit to do with, maybe there were like oils that they had and they were essential. And they thought if you use things like that, then you are holy. But the Bible says we are strengthened by grace here. Verse 9, we are strengthened not by food, but by grace. So here, this warning, don't get mixed up into strange teachings, strange diets. The nourishment comes from the grace of God. Again, that's why we go back to the gospel. You come to the cross. There is the strength. There is where we don't get confused. And how do we come? We must come humble, as the scripture says. We humbly come to the Lord. How does that look? Well, Jesus told us in the verse, you're annoyed hearing over and over again. We're poor in spirit. We mourn over sin. This warning, not by food, by the grace of God. Verse number 10, 
says this, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So again, still talking about food, Jesus then says, speaking to the believers, we have an altar with which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's still talking about food. They had come up with this strange food thing to say they're holy, and Jesus brings it all back to the cross. He says, hey, we have this altar. We have this food to eat. Now, I think what it is speaking of is bringing us back to communion, where, where we have the body and the blood. This is a picture that we, we take communion, right? It's a picture of the body that was broken for us. By his stripes we are healed. And we take the, the juice. Uh, or maybe you Methodists take the wine. I don't know. We're always Baptists. We're not allowed to touch that stuff. So, but the, the juice or the wine what is, it? is a representation of the blood that was shed for us. And here I think he's bringing back going, there are those that... They don't take of the body. They have not received the body. They have not, when we know the body was broken, his blood was shed, we take communion. Why? We remember what Christ did for us, always brings us back. It cannot be ritualistic. We cannot go through the motions. It is when we come back and go, Lord, we thank you for what you have done. That is a partaking, right? That is a picture that we've partaken of the body. It is a pointing back to For by grace are you saved through faith. We have trusted in what Jesus did on the cross. So here Jesus is saying there are those, they don't know the Lord. They do the ritualistic living. They they follow these false rules, but they don't partake. They don't partake of the Lord. Verse 11, "For for the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burnt outside the camp. And I told you it's a little difficult, so I'm trying to walk through each of these. Now he moves to a place to say to the Israelite people, you, you know the day of atonement inside the city, inside the temple, the high priest once a year, with the day would, would bring the sacrifice to the Lord. And then they would take that carcass of that animal and it would be put outside of the city. And so the writer is bringing this image that we can struggle with because we're like, unless you're really up to date and good with your Jewish laws and, and their sacrifices, but many times we, we forget. And, but that day of atonement, they would bring, and still there were the Jews that were persecuting the Christians saying, no, this is what's going to heal us. And, and, and the whole book of Hebrews is saying, no, Christ is the perfect sacrifice everything the day of atonement it was pointing to jesus and his perfect sacrifice it was a pointing to the future that now we look back to it says and it uses it uses that that sacrifice and it says that is put outside of the camp in verse 12 so jesus also suffered outside the gate what does that look like Jesus went to the cross of Golgotha, right? Outside, he was sacrificed outside of the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Again, this is a tough passage to understand. So it seems to me, I've said it seems to me many times this summer in studying the book of Revelation. It seems to me 
I, I think, right? But it seems to me there's this image where inside, there was the inside group, but Jesus was sacrificed on the outside. And so it seems to me, that I read this, I see a picture of Jesus on the outside, this offer to all. It wasn't the holy huddle. It wasn't just that Jesus was sacrificed on the outside the, that we might be saved. Jesus in this offer, for God so loved the world, not the spinny globe, but people. He sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. And we see that transition the Jewish people, and now offered to the Gentiles, anybody not of the Jewish descent, and that we get to be engrafted in Christ on the outside, that offer to all. And then verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp to see what that is. It is not this what the day of atonement, the no, no, Jesus outside the camp. Here is what he offers. Here is what he has done. And then it says, and bear the reproach he endured. So one author that I was reading about this says it this way. He's, it says, uh, it tells us that we must go outside of the camp, even if that means we must suffer in order to shine forth as his disciples. So I talk through all of that, and it just brings me to a place of we're called to go outside the camp, to go outside of the holy huddle where there'll be persecution. We'll preach on that tonight. Some of you may want to pack up early. Persecution isn't maybe going to happen. Persecution, we go outside Jesus persecuted outside the camp and now we live as that life and we will receive that persecution so when I think about let us go outside of the camp it is the church that we are called to go and share the light of Jesus with the world Yes, we're called to stir one another up to love and good works. Yes, we're called to run that race and gather together, worship with one another. Yes, we're called to, to, to in, in our obedience and our service with our lips sing praises. Yes, we have the rest of the Lord and we labor, but we are called as disciples of the Lord to share that truth with the world. We are not called to isolation and to just get in our holy huddle. We are called to go out and to preach the gospel to the world. And may we take the truth of Jesus. So uh, on the first, um, first day, I told you about our church and its mission. And it, this isn't something like, ooh, clever, what we've come up with. Just read scripture. This is what scripture tells us to do. But I told you, Yes, I have bad handwriting also, all right? There are many faults I have. You are learning many of them, right? But what we have is three things. We reach. This is going to be a bad circle. Gather. And we grow. Okay, this is, this is what we talk about. Twice a year, we come together as a church. We spend a month just talking about reaching, gathering, and growing. 
And maybe when the pastor gets sick of preaching it, maybe people in the congregation will start to get it, right? Like, and we just, we, we go to it. But we believe we are called to reach people. It is part of who we are as a church. We're not just a holy huddle. How are we reaching out to the community and people are hearing about Jesus? So events that we have, we look and go, that we, we have to have rent, reach thing, reach program. What does that look like for us as a church? How are we doing that? If we are just meeting and we're just reading the Bible, we are missing it. We have to have this goal of reaching. So what does that look like? It also helps because sometimes we have programs or things we've done in the past and we're like, it doesn't reach, it doesn't gather, it doesn't grow. Why are we doing it? And then that gives us a reason to go, hey, we've done this. There's no purpose in it. But to reach, and so we think of the church, so we do things like we, we don't have some spectacular machine. Like we, we have an egg hunt for some reason. God has blessed that. We have thousands and thousands of people that come. And every time they come, what do we do? We bring them in. Each of those events, we feel like it is important to preach the gospel. We want to love them, but to love them, we got to tell them the truth. And so we give them every single time when those thousands of kids come and it gets a little hectic, we take time. We stop. Tell them about Jesus. Doing like trunk or treats and doing, okay, how do we do community ministries? And what does it look like? Do we do, do we, are we a part of the parade? Why or why not? Is it reaching? Are we able to get out? Are we caring and loving people or, or is that not doing it? We want to reach. And we believe reach, when people are reached with the gospel, well, then they come and they gather. And that is our, we gather together as saints to worship, to praise to study God's word, to take communion, baptisms. We gather together to pray for one another. It is not just we've done this, it's what we've done. No, we know why we do it. We gather together and sing. Why? Because God calls us to speak praises to him. We gather together. We're called to rightly divide the word of truth. I'm called as a pastor to preach the word. We gather. But we don't stop there because we then need to grow. So we, we call our growth, they're growth groups. They're growth communities. It just goes along with it. It is what you have called uh, Sunday school, Bible studies, small groups. Any other names? Life groups. What else you got? Discipleship, BSF, what do, you, what do you want to call it? Right, All of this, what is it? Growth groups. And whether they meet at a restaurant, meet in the building, meet in somebody's house, we have all of those. How do we grow in God's word? We got to be growing, learning his word, maturing in his word. So that what? As we're reached with the gospel, we gather together with the saints. We grow in the Lord so that we may get back to reaching. We grow so that then we look and go, okay, I'm, I'm called to reach. And this is all wrapped around the gospel. Everything. We get back to reaching people because it's not just a building church call. It's a personal church call. This is who we're called to be, to reach. Because it's easy to go, man, the world is such a mess. Let's have a holy huddle. How do I keep my kids away from everything? 
So we homeschool them. Got nothing against homeschool. But we think, man, if I can homeschool them and work from home, and, and uh, if I just don't see anybody and just we have our family, are going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Because like, one of the things we miss, what God has called us to be, to be reaching people. Luke, 22, or Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. I may read this verse tonight. On the account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Right? This is what we're called as Jesus goes outside the camp. He is ridiculed. If we follow the Lord and are a light, we will receive that ridicule. So go to Matthew 5. I know you're sick of it. Matthew 5, just a little bit beyond the Beatitudes. Matthew 5.13. So we're after the Beatitudes. Jesus then says, okay, so now you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for nothing, good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do light, people light a lamp and put it under a basket. That's called a fire. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to be salt and light to this world. Because of Jesus, we are called to have a pity and a love for people, to care for them. I tell people all the time, when I see people who don't know the Lord, I don't expect them to follow the Lord's rules. I don't. If you don't know the Lord, why are you going to follow the Lord? There are people who say they do follow the Lord and they don't follow the Lord's rules. So why is somebody who doesn't know the Lord, why do we hold it like you can't look like you can't do that, you can't swear in front of me, you can't do any of it, like it's like we want them, we want to shape them into the rules of the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. Now, when we know the Lord, and then we keep each other accountable. Then we go, hey, hey, we got to follow the Lord. You proclaim to know Christ. Then we're accountable. Then we're living out that life of helping one another, being peacemakers. We're not going to the world. They don't, they don't know. But it's called for us to be salt and light, to care for them. For you churches, you've heard this definition of salt, Right? Then, under those high temperatures and the hot weather, the decay, meat, it didn't go well. Right? The wonderful swarms of flies. Whew. For me, I can only th it makes me think we, we did some mission trips in Haiti and we went to some, some markets. They look different than the farmer's markets here. The flies and the cats with things tied around them and different. But the decaying and it, it, even worse then. And so salt was used to, to prevent meat from, from decaying and 
So they put that meat in the solution of salt to preserve it. So one said, when the world is left to itself, it festers and putrefies from all the gem, germs of evil. The world began as a perfect creation, but sin has brought decay. And the world is rotten. We're called to be salt to this world. So personally, what does that look like? That's why it's so important we're involved with community and, and schools and, and politics and neighborhoods and all of that. For years and years, I was a youth pastor and I coached at the local high school. There were some bad teams. But just whatever I could do to get in the school and to know the kids. And I love, there was a time that I had a key to every school in Waterford. It was wonderful. Now they have kicked us out and won't call us back. It's sad, right? It's really sad. Scared of us. Yeah. Breaks your heart. But salt and light to the world. Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's, it's pretty, pretty direct. Be a salt. Not only preserves, but that can taste good. It can be kind. It can be caring. One said, many Christians, it's like they've been baptized in lemon juice. One author says, your life is much bigger than a good job, marriage, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are a part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after. God is reaching, falling humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. This is our work. This is our job. Another pastor told a story about a new person came to their church and he greeted them and said, hello. And the pastor said, hey, what do you do for a living? And she answered, I'm a disciple of Christ, cleverly disguised as a machine operator. Thought it was beautiful. So just some thinkle, uh, thinkle, some simple, I'm not tired. Some simple things that we can do to reach people with the gospel. So four things, then we'll wrap up. One. Learn to share your story of how you were lost and now are found. <clears throat> Learn to share your story. How did Jesus save you? And for some, your story is crazy. It's crazy. My dad's story, crazy. Let's look at what the Lord did. It is a crazy story. It's wonderful. It impacted many. But can I tell you something? I'm good if Silas doesn't have that crazy story. I'm good. 
good, quiet, wonderful, knows the Lord, doesn't have to live through that to see it. I think that's probably what you want for your kids too, right? They don't. Now, some of them are going to need the story. And God is so good at going, come to me, come to me. Hey, I'm here. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he knows what will wake them up. But we pray their children will know the Lord. They will not love this world, but love the Lord. That they will not be filled with the flesh, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what we pray. But to know, as Christ saved you, let, let them know. Let them know your story. Some of them are crazy and some of them are simple and beautiful. I think it's a beautiful story to say, I want to tell you, my parents raised me to follow the Lord. They taught me the word of God. I grew up in a home where a dad loved me and a mom loved me and they taught me the word and they prayed for me. And I've seen sin destroy people's lives. And they taught me I didn't need to live a life that way. And Christ came and saved me. Yep, just because I grew up a Christian home, I still know I am a sinful mess. I have a flesh that is wicked. I can easily give into that. But the Lord has saved me. A new life, a new way. He's given me this sweetness and this kindness. A testimony of showing people, man, there's this love. You're soaked in something. Yes, I'm soaked in the love of God. But to share your story. Sometimes stories are crazy. I have this man every other Tuesday, 25-year-old man. Every other Wednesday, he comes into my office, and we just have a Bible study, him and I. He is a new believer. He's a recovering addict alcoholic and I love his story I love what we're doing is I just I've told him hey we're going through this book of fundamentals and I said I want you to read the book of John and stop every time you don't know what's going on I want you to ask who is Jesus and then write down your questions so he'll come to me okay I'm through uh the chapters three and four I have 836 questions let's go it's wonderful to see how the Lord is molding him, and, and he is, um, he, he is, uh, was an alcoholic, and the Lord saved him, and told me a story, he's 20 and a mess, said, Pastor, I got connected in AA, and I started walking through, and he knows all the steps, I don't pretend to know all the steps, but he said, I got to that part where I got to find the spiritual being. And so I would do this and I would do that. And I was good with God. Good with God. But I met this lady. She started talking about Jesus. And he said, Jesus made me angry. Made me angry. I was okay with God, but Jesus. So I said, this lady I met and talking with her parents, we one night it got a little heated because I had found that. I was good with God and good with, man, I'm walking through these AA steps, but Jesus said after that, I, the Lord started working on me. And he said, he, he told me there's a time I just sat there and was praying and he said, Jesus, if you're real, I just want to know you. Will you make it so clear? So he said, 
I think he said the next day or two days later, I went to an AA meeting. He said a man there, his name was Richard, showed up. He said, I had known Richard. We had, uh, either he had been my sponsor, I had been his sponsor, but he said, I hadn't seen Richard for five years. Richard was a heroin addict. He said, Richard had been gone for five years. He said, Richard showed up and he saw me and he walked up to me. He said, hey, I got to tell you something. I met Jesus. And so Justin was like, all right, Lord. First thing that comes out is somebody who's met Jesus. And he said, Richard began to tell me about Jesus. Now, Richard had come to our church. He was 32 years old when he came to know the Lord. He had destroyed his body with heroin. He came to know the Lord. See, the first time I saw Justin was at Richard's funeral. Richard had known the Lord and followed the Lord. But I think the Lord said, Richard, it's time to go to heaven. Richard OD'd and died. So I did the funeral and Justin and his wife were there. Remember Justin going, I got to talk to you. I just don't know. I got to talk to you. So Justin came in and said, man, Richard, he spoke to me. He told me about Jesus. And now Justin follows the Lord. Meet every other week, growing and learning. Learning about who Jesus is. It's crazy to think. I just think of what the Lord's going to do with this man and his bride. But what is your story? Do you know if Christ has saved you? Share your story. Know it. Walk through it. Because sometimes you're going to meet, at some point you're going to meet someone and you need to share your story. You need to see what the Lord did. And then, we not only need to share a story, we need to share our life. We need to know who our neighbors are. We need to be able to care for people around us. Maybe it doesn't happen up here, but in the city, people don't know their neighbors. We don't. It is a conviction of mine. I know them. I pray for them. I don't know why I haven't had them over for dinner. Why I haven't had it, and I'm kind to them, and we talk, and we're, but I'm convicted to take it out. I, I, I need to do more than just be that friendly neighbor that is kind and caring. What, how am I sharing my life with them? remember when I was a little kid, I was seven, around, I, was, I don't know how, real young. We lived in Waterford, and my dad was always one that would find a lawnmower on the side of the road that was broken, and he'd throw it in the back of his truck, and he'd fix it, and he'd use it. That was our lawnmower. He'd always do that. And I just remember one day looking up, and dad was mowing the next-door neighbor's lawn. And I remember thinking, what are you doing, dad? Why would you mow their, you make me mow our lawn. Why were you making them, you know, like, why are you mowing their lawn? And they're it was long and not, and I, and I, like, what are you doing? Are you, do you just think it's so gross you don't want to? Now you're mowing the backyard. Why are you mowing the backyard? It's because my dad so just wanted to love those people. The next door neighbor was a drug guy, and he, he just so wanted to share the gospel. So to do that, he just began loving him. Mowed his lawn, cared for him, to be able to share and to tell people. 
It's one of the wonderful things. As my dad passed some six months ago, over and over and over again, people coming up to us and go, I just want you to know, your dad led me to the Lord. Over and over. My dad has a book of people that he led to the Lord. And then the other day, somebody said, hey, this man came up and said, your dad led me to the Lord, and he wasn't in the book. It was so, <laughs> like, but that was just his gift, right? But we're all called to do that. Like, some of us have the gift of evangelism. That was my dad. But we're still called to know our story, to share our life. I had an awesome privilege. Two weeks ago, a family in the church said, hey, uh, Pastor, can, can we... Um, could we do a service on the lake? And they live on a lake. And I was like, well, yes. Like, Sunday, what if we invited everybody on the lake? And they just pulled up their pontoons, and we sang some songs, and you preached, you tell people about Jesus. Could we do that? And I was like, well, I don't have time. Yes, I, yes. So a few weeks ago, went to their house, sang a couple songs of worship, Put a couple speakers in the yard. People pulled up with pontoons. People brought lawn chairs and sat in the yard. And we had a gathering of people, many who don't know the Lord. Sladian's band just go, how can we reach our community? And can I tell you something? As they've been doing this, they've got kicked in the face many a times. They have. Why? Because when you go and love people and tell people about Jesus... You're in for the battle. She called me broken about a month before that. I said, Pastor, this happened. I was just trying to love them. And then this blew up and this blew up. And I said, you think bombs aren't going to go off when you're in the middle of the war? They will. Keep fighting. It's a good thing. But to, to go outside the camp, we share our story. We share our testimony. And then we, we have to share the truth. We have to know how to tell people how to be saved. We have to be able to tell them, hey, this is how you can know the Lord. And, and whether you use uh, Romans Road or you have to be able to point people, to be able to take them to Scripture to say, Jesus says if you will confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Knowing to take them, hey, we must know we're what poor in spirit. We, we must know we're a sinner. We mourn, we repent, and we accept Jesus, what he did, the work of the cross. But to know how to do that, that is so important. We can't all go, let me take you to my pastor. No, we can know. And I know for some of us it's uncomfortable. I, I, but we need to know how to do that. And then lastly, we must start to pray for people. Who are you praying for to come to know the Lord? Pick a, pick a neighbor. Ask the Lord to give you somebody. Then start praying, Lord, may, may they come to know the Lord. And if you need to use me as a light, even though it makes me really nervous and uncomfortable, and I, but Lord, I want to be ready to be used by you. And start to ask the Lord for it. And I just think these are some simple steps that are so important. Share your story, share your life, share the truth, and pray for them. 
so important. So as we wrap up, I'd just like to take a short group time. Gather together and just answer a couple questions. One, has there been a let us statement that's challenged you? And two, what can you do to better reach your community around you? And then maybe in that group, find that one person you can pray for. It's a group you can pray. I encourage you, don't say, are you praying for that guy over? Don't do that. Somebody in this room, right? But my husband, right? No, okay. But, but find that person. So is there a lettuce that's challenged you? You think of a way, how can I reach and step out? Maybe there's like, a, you know, the, you feel the Lord urging. You know what? I'm gifted in doing this teaching. I need to go outside and help teach there. There's this garden going on in the community. I can go and be a part of that. Or is there something that you can do? And then who is somebody you can pray for? And we'll do that for about eight minutes. And then we'll gather back together and pray and be done. All right, everybody, we're just going to pray and wrap up. You're like, my group is not done. Well, we can pray and you can keep going after we dismiss, all right? But um, I hope you're challenged. I know it has challenged me. It really has. And um, I hope you know when I speak, it's a, it's a personal thing uh, about how I'm called to be the church with you. And uh, how can we go and let us be the church? So let me pray. And uh, if you want to stay in your group, continue uh, chatting, please do that. Uh, if you want to go, you're welcome to do that too. So Lord, we love you. May we honor you. As we leave the camp, may we be conscious of how we're called to be salt and light. Grow us in it. Give us boldness. Pray for those opportunities. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Hey, I do have stir sticks up here if anybody wants one. I had a couple of people asking for them, so they're sitting ready.